0: c.s lewis podcast with alistair mcgrath hello and welcome back to the show justin briley sitting in once again for ruth jackson while she's on maternity leave looking forward to having ruth back with us uh, in the summer but we're continuing our journey on the podcast through seven of lewis's significant apologetics and devotional christian works with alistair mcgrath author of the defining biography c.s lewis a life today exploring The Great Divorce, published in 1945, an unusual story in many ways told from the perspective of passengers on a sort of allegorical day trip from hell to heaven. Well, Alistair will be explaining how the story, the characters, drew out Lewis's view on the nature of heaven and hell. Thanks, by the way, to the listener who left this review for us. Uh, I've just started the podcast, already find it riveting, I hope they cover the space trilogy well not in this season of the show but maybe in another one we'll see what we can do Uh, do add your rating and review wherever you're listening on podcast it helps others to discover the show also just a reminder that there's a new place to look out for the podcast and all of what we're doing from Premier unbelievable it's our new website PremierUnbelievable.com. really excited about us bringing all of our resources under one roof uh, and you can also register there to get hold of our newsletter for updates on the show exclusive content a free ebook as well when you do that comes your way god's not dead the case for god from science and philosophy by william lane craig again the uh, the website and the the ways to register are linked from today's show as well as ways to support the show as well if you'd like to do that that's premierunbelievable.com just a quick reminder about our conference as well coming up very soon now only about a month away unbelievable.live is the place to go Uh, we'd love you to join us at the british library in london either in person where you'll get uh, everything laid on we're catering for you there'll be refreshments there'll be even the opportunity to to visit the british library if you want to but some wonderful sessions across the course of the day helping you to speak with grace and truth into our confused and divided culture if you're coming online that's a wonderful way to do it as well and we've made it at a time when friends in the u.s and canada can especially join in as well Uh, so it's uh, it's really easy to do that there's a pay what you want option and uh, you can check out all the guests and the topics uh, from our website unbelievable.live so the links both to um, our new ministry website and the event website are available with today's show for now let's get into today's conversation Welcome back to the show. And today we're talking about another of Lewis's uh, well-known works, The Great Divorce, Um, probably among his shorter books, I'd say, Alistair, probably wouldn't take you much more than a a couple of hours, really, to read through at a a decent pace. Um, uh, so so tell us when, when this was written and, and how it came to be written. Well, it came to be written in actually 1944, and, and we know this book was
1: read to the inkling. So if you like, um, it's one that Lewis developed and then kind of where his his friends collaborated with it and tried to make it even better. And what's interesting is that um, you've mentioned it's short. And um, again, each chapter is about the same length. And like uh, the tape Letters, this was originally published as a series of Um, uh, weekly uh, or monthly articles in uh, The Guardian, which is a church journal, and then it published in book form in 1946. So it's a very interesting book. And actually, a lot of evidence suggests Lewis had been thinking about these ideas for a long time because... Um, his brother, Warnie, um, actually recalls Lewis talking about the idea of what he called an infernal excursion <laughs> to paradise back in April 1933. So really, you know, the the basic framework for this really goes back a long time, and Lewis clearly had been tinkering
0: with it for some time. So t- tell us, sketch out in, in a little more detail sort of what, what readers can expect to find, if they haven't read it yet, um, the, the nature of the tale that Lewis weaves and and, and yeah, and what, what you would describe it as, is it a, an allegory, a parable? What what, what exactly is this? I don't find, I, I think I can find the right word to describe it. Um, it's
1: all about some very interesting people who tell their own stories, explain their own views on things. Each of them is quite eccentric or perhaps opinionated. And and Lewis is using them to make some very important points. Now, the, the key thing is that the central image is that of a group of people taking a vacation from their home in hell and visiting paradise, if you like a day trip. And it's an intriguing um, framework. It's a bit like screw, screwed up letters and there's a, a framework being used as highly unusual. And n- n- people wonder where on earth he got this idea of people taking a day trip from hell to heaven from. And some people suggest it may have come from yes. the 17th century writer, um, Jeremy Taylor. Um, but we, we're not really clear. But anyway, wherever it comes from, it is the framing device for this story. And what it does is it allows Lewis to explore some major theological and spiritual
0: themes about heaven and hell, especially the idea of heaven as fulfillment. And, and I mean, starting with the hell side, I mean, uh, it, it's it's not as though these people, he depicts a sort of fire and brimstone version of hell. It's It's almost like a very very boring flat grey almost suburban gloom that stretches on forever sort of version of hell it's it, he, he's he's kind of te- he doesn't want to kind of give you the, your typical images in this book does he of, of heaven and hell he's trying to do something rather different he is doing something very different and, and that's one of the reasons why in
1: fact the book is so interesting I mean hell is portrayed as a very dull place i mean to be be quite crude and so bashing understands why they might like to make a day trip to see if there's something better on offer and the really interesting thing that lewis brings out is why people chose to go there because that's a key theme that in effect um, this is not accidental these people have got trapped in various ways of thinking which means that they have ended up there so it's intriguing because um it, it does raise a question about whether Lewis in effect expects these day trips to heaven to make people think maybe we should change place maybe actually heaven is rather better than hell but that's a a real interesting question which I'm sure we'll we'll touch on later in this podcast
0: but certainly there's some very interesting ideas being explored here and and then when they arrive as it were on the bus (laughs) they and they find this place they they find themselves and and he does a super job I think of, of describing this but in this place that is far more substantial than they are they are ghosts in a place where you know he says you know if if it had rained the 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 drops of water would have been like bullets going through them the 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 grass you know was painful to walk on because it was so real so so there's a sense in which he wants to paint this very sort of uh, distinction between the the you know uh this very vague place of hell with with no substance really to it and this very real place of heaven why why this very you know sharp difference between these two two places the point he's making
1: i think is that um hell is a place of shadows of um of a lack of reality, a lack of substance, whereas heaven is where things are real, the way they are meant to be. And what Lewis is clearly saying is that if you're in hell, then it, it is a. Uh um, an impoverished existence it, it, it is not the way things are meant to be that's why you know he'll give images of ghosts and things like that it's all to try and get across ideas a phantom-like existence it's not real existence heaven is where we we exist as we are really meant to be people of substance rather than kind of a shadows or um um you know a, a, phantoms or something like that so it is quite an important theme for Lewis and one of the points that Lewis is trying to make through his imagery of heaven is a this place is really interesting but b it's it it has substance it is real and that contrasts with the shadowy existence that we find
0: in hell and and I, I get the sense that as we see these various individuals go on their journey further in, to, as it were, to this place, it's almost as though they they start to, to to take on a bit more substance themselves as they have experiences and as they 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 start to look a bit more like the the heavenly place and and it's, it doesn't become such an alien world and there's this sort of transition almost and and what it reminds me a great deal of as well is of course the the final chapters of the last battle in Narnia where you again have a sort of vision of heaven where he says this place they want they walked into was so much more real than Narnia. It felt like Narnia was just the cover page and the title, and this was the real story. So Lewis likes to draw on these sorts of analogies, doesn't he? That heaven is a, is, is much more. It's not less. It's not some ethereal, spiritual, slightly vague dimension. It, whatever that kingdom is it is much more real than what we we experience now. I think that is a very important point and in many ways Lewis is developing
1: some of the ideas in this novel which he, he will bring in some of his later works. so The Last Battle Hank being a very good example to give and again it's, it's the idea that we tend to think of heaven as being insubstantial in it's all ethereal compared with the world that we know here and now and, and Lewis is detailed and vivid descriptions of heaven are, I think, deliberately intended to bring out the place. This is real. This is a place in which we find our real identity and substance. It's not a kind of um, a purely spiritual place. It's real. And in going there, you really achieve fulfillment. And Again, that theme of fulfillment is incredibly important to Lewis that, in effect, is where we become what we are really meant to be, a process that's begun here, but is completed in heaven.
0: Now, uh, rather than be, uh, there's a sort of um, a quote right at the beginning page on my edition here from George MacDonald, uh, and the quote is, No, there is no escape. There is no heaven with a little of hell in it. No plan to retain this or that of the devil in our hearts or our pockets. Our, out Satan must go, every hair and feather. And and MacDonald, um, who perhaps you could sketch out briefly, uh, you know, a sense of who that who he is, um, features also as a character in, in the book as well. So tell us about George MacDonald and, and how he features in, in well, this George book. Well, George MacDonald was a, a very prominent Victorian preacher who um, wasn't quite orthodox
1: in his theology, a like that. But he had this very strong sense of the importance of the imagination and writing books, which in effect developed these, um, these appeals to the imagination, very often in fact for children. And Lewis really saw MacDonald as someone who helped him enormously. So um, MacDonald appears almost as a guide or a kind of uh, companion in, in the great divorce. It's a bit like uh, Dante's um, divine comedy where the poet Virgil accompanies the pilgrim. And, and basically, um, Uh, what McDonald is doing is kind of way casting light on what is going on here. If you like, he's setting out a framework to try and make sense of what is happening. So Lewis brings him in because he he actually likes him enormously. But I think more importantly, because he feels that McDonald, in many ways has put his finger on uh, some very important points. The key point, I I think, is... um, And Will MacDonald says, um, the choice of every lost soul could be expressed in the words, better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. And it's all about... Um, uh, the individualization of hell. Hell is a place where you, in effect, become a self-centred person with no sense of engagement with anyone else. You're entirely self-centred. And that's a big theme for MacDonald. And actually, I, you can see it very clearly in Lewis's
0: reflections on the contrast mm. between heaven and hell. And, and that's, you know, brought out, and I, I can't remember, is it in The Great Divorce where there is that quote that he uses and maybe could be attributed originally to MacDonald about the gates of hell are locked from the inside this this idea that hell isn't something that as it were god sentences people to as a punishment for things they've done rather there's it's the natural what happens to people when they as you say become self-centered as as they become their own god if you like that is you know that talk a bit about that because I, i think that's sort of where he gets to in in parts of this book isn't it
1: It it is very much so. I think one of the big themes in um, The Great Divorce is basically um, your decisions matter, that in effect you are making decisions and these reflect who you are. And this, in effect, um, determines where you end up very crudely. I mean, uh, those who are in hell are because they want to be. That's the kind of people they are. Hell is exactly the right place for um, someone who is absolutely self-centered, self-referential, and trapped in their own way of thinking. And Lewis does not see hell as a place of punishment. I mean, it's just a, a very drab and dull place full of strange people who seem to be completely preoccupied for themselves so if you like um, this is their choice and God gives them what they want. And of course, that's a theme you do find in McDonald's. So what we need to do, I think, is say that our traditional visions of heaven and hell don't map easily onto Lewis's narrative. So my own view is perhaps it's easier to say, let's let's just step into Lewis's narrative, his argument, and, and see how he wants us to understand these things and
0: see what we can take away from them. I mean, it, it may be known to some that, that Macdonald himself was essentially a universalist in, in terms of his view of, of the ultimate, if you like, salvation of all and um, that everyone would ultimately, you know, be um, say yes to God in that sense. Given he features so prominently, do you, some have suggested well, that must have been Lewis's ultimate sort of conclusion as well. I But I don't know. What do you think? Can can you draw that that stricter conclusion about what Lewis thought about, you know, that that view?
1: I, I think um this argument can go both ways. I mean, one possibility is that MacDonald is actually a foil. In other words, he's presenting a way of thinking which Lewis does not necessarily want to identify with, but wants to be present in the discussion. But then when I read mere Christianity, there's a passage um, which, uh, if I remember right, it says, uh, every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you either into a heavenly creature or into a hellish creature. And that is... That suggests, you know, in effect, you are deciding who you are, and again, that that emphasis on the decisions you make and those decisions expressing the kind of person you are or are becoming is there throughout Lewis. So, I, my feeling is that there, there there's a certain degree of um, symmetry between what Macdonald is saying and what Lewis is saying, even if Lewis tends to make Macdonald the the, the the mouthpiece for that particular viewpoint
0: another sort of frequently debated issue is is purgatory um and and again i i know that some have suggested well perhaps lewis is advocating you know just in the fact that there is this sort of journey from uh, hell to heaven and these the experiences people have in that, that that he's arguing for some that there is some kind of form of purgatory some kind of ability for people to you know post-mortem be sort of made ready for heaven in some sense which which is perhaps the way you know a Catholic might might view that uh what what do you make of that Alistair? Well I think Lewis is um in effect um, setting out a map of
1: possibilities where you have heaven and you have hell and then you have the image of the bus trip (laughs) if I put it very crudely Mm. and 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 it's almost as if there is a connection there's a sort of place where you can visit and perhaps decide to stay see what I'm saying and Lewis does not really articulate a a theology of purgatory I mean I I mean his his writings suggest he might be sympathetic to that but he doesn't actually make it explicit here but what he is saying at least implicitly is there will be those who are in hell who go to heaven and say oh this is much better I really belong here uh, to make that choice and make that transition. Now, again, this is controversial. People have written about this extensively. I think Lewis is exploring ideas here, but one of the ideas he is exploring is whether, in effect, um, hell is a permanent place of residence, or in effect, it has the option of transfer because you realise that actually you have changed your mind. Now, obviously, this is is intensely debated amongst Lewis scholars, and I don't want to kind of way, you know, take a particularly dogmatic position on this, but I would say the
0: thought is certainly there. Yes, and and my my suspicion personally on this is that Lewis left obviously enough sort of made it in a sense such a story such a fantastical story in a way because he wasn't willing to to nail his colors precisely to any particular theological mast almost and almost in the way that you know when Jesus tells a parable about Lazarus and the rich man and him being in Abraham's bosom, I, I don't think Jesus necessarily intends us to take a very strict theological understanding of heaven and hell from that story it's a it's a principle and my suspicion is Lewis is more interested in in a principle than nailing down some exact you know systematic theology of, of heaven and hell in this book i think that's right and and i think that that there may also be some influence
1: from uh, a platonic way of looking at things where in effect heaven is seen as pure reality it's uh, you know this is this is about reality as opposed to perceptions or even deceptions which is what lewis regards hell as being and uh, that that would seem to imply that if you're in hell and realize this is a delusion, this is in effect, um, uh, you, you, you you want to break free from this, that there is a way out. Uh, a bit like Plato's Cave, in fact, that, that very famous uh, analogy. So again, I, I don't want to press too hard on this because I think Lewis is here exploring ideas and in effect saying, I wonder what happens if... You know, if, if you were to make a day trip from hell to heaven and decide that you quite like to stay on. Now, obviously, there are all kinds of issues to discuss here. But Lewis, in effect, is doing what he does so well, which is by telling a story, he kind of way encourages
0: us to think things through. Tell us about some of the characters we meet um, that, that you know, and, and some readers have found it a difficult book because, you know, there are these various sets of conversations with um, people like Tausel headed poets and liberal bishops. What, why why are these particular sort of characters and interactions in as people make their way into heaven? Well, I think Lewis wants to present us with a series of engaging um,
1: characters who who are interesting, perhaps sometimes a little bit eccentric. But one of the things they all have in common, I think, is that um, they're all very Um, self-centered or fail to see what things are really about. For example, um, uh, the painter who began by loving to paint reality and then became obsessed with the paint itself, that kind of thing. In other words, losing Mm. a sight of reality and becoming preoccupied with an instrument or becoming preoccupied with themselves. And so his, his parody of, of a liberal bishop, for example, who um, has lost sight of what Christianity is all about, is actually quite telling because um, you know it, it fits in quite well with some of the things that were happening in the Church of England around this time. But I think that the key point that Lewis is trying to make is that these engaging characters make us want to ask how they became the way they are, and very often the the answer is they became distracted from reality and either focused on themselves, making themselves the reference point for everything, or became obsessed with the words they were using, the tools they were using rather than the reality that they were trying to love and engage with. So St. Lewis is saying really that all of them have in common a disengagement from reality and a focusing on themselves or the instruments that they might have once
0: used to engage reality, but they now have become an end in themselves. Hmm. I I love, there's one um, moment in the book where, um, and going back to our discussion uh from screw tape letters about the the sort of ordinary people that we bump up against in church and so on and and there's this this one moment when um one of the visitors sees this extraordinary radiant woman with flowers sort of being strewn before her as she 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 wanders through and he says, "Gosh, who's this incredible woman and one of the you know assistants or it might be Mcdonald or someone tells him, "Oh, she was the charwoman um who did such and such." And and it's this sense that in heaven, you know, the first shall be last, the last shall be first. This sense that that what God values and what and the way you know is not going to be what a great theologian we were, or or how brilliantly we made money, or you know how many cars we owned and and uh, the esteem we had, our political career. I like that, that that Lewis is really keen to kind of stress that that there's a different sort of value system going on in this sort of heavenly realm. He is. He, he's saying in
1: heaven, we see you as you really are. I think that that's a very important point. That in effect, um, you know, life on earth is where you shape yourself. And then um, heaven is where you express that reality that you become. Now there are a whole series of issues here. What about God's grace? I think that's a very important point and things Mm. like that. Mm. But we just have to go with Lewis's narrative and he is trying to make a point that very often in heaven we see what might seem to us on earth being ordinary is actually being very special. And that again is a theme that
0: Lewis talks about quite a lot during works written in the 1940s. If I may just read a little bit one. And again, the, the book had a tremendous impact on me when I first read it as a teenager. Um, and and this was one particular moment that that has always stuck with me. And it's it's one of these encounters between the angel, the sort of flaming spirit and one of these slightly ghostly um people who have come on this trip and and this particular person um has a a red lizard on their shoulder constantly whispering into their ear and you can tell he's bothered by it and trying to get it to be quiet and and this angel approaches the man and asks him if he would like to 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 deal with it and the man says oh well if you could just make it quiet down a bit and he says oh well i'm gonna have to kill it and the man sort of reacts with horror you know no i I couldn't possibly have it killed you know just can't we just sort of <laughs> make it a bit you know to deal with it in some other way but the angel insists the only way to deal with this and is to is to destroy it and the man himself says feels like he himself would be destroyed if that happens but i'll just i'll just read a little uh from from the end of that encounter um Uh, uh, The angel's hands were almost closed on the lizard but not quite. Then the lizard began chattering to the ghost so loud that even I could hear what it was saying. Be careful, it said. He can do what he says. He can kill me. One fatal word from you and he will. Then you'll be without me forever and ever. It's not natural. How could you live? You'd be only a sort of ghost, not a real man, as you are now. He doesn't understand. He's only a cold, bloodless, abstract thing. It may be natural for him, but it isn't for us. Yes, yes, I know there are no real pleasures now, only dreams. But aren't they better than nothing? And I'll be so good. I admit I've sometimes gone too far in the past, but I promise I won't do it again. I'll give you nothing but really nice dreams, all sweet and fresh and almost innocent. You might say quite innocent. Have I got your permission, said the angel to the ghost. I know it will kill me. It won't, but supposing it did. You're right. It would be better to be dead than to live with this creature. Then I may. Damn and blast you, go on, can't you? Get it over. Do what you like, bellowed the ghost, but ended whimpering. God help me. God help me. Next moment, the ghost gave a scream of agony such as I have never heard on earth. The burning one closed his crimson grip on the reptile, twisted it while it bit and writhed, and then flung it broken back to on the turf. Ah, that's done for me, gasped the ghost, reeling backwards. And then you get this this story um another sort of passage in which the, the the ghost is transformed into a fully substantial person, and in fact the the lizard out of the ashes of this lizard comes this wonderful white stallion and um it's a it's a very i've always found that a very powerful sort of passage i suppose about the the way in which um sin can persuade us that we sort of need it that that it becomes almost part of our personality sometimes and that that there are aspects of us that we sort of um we 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 really have trouble you know actually getting rid of because it it persuades us that we can't live without this that or, or something else and and then the 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 solution obviously that Lewis gives is no you have to you have to surrender it you have to kill it um and it's it's too radical for many people you know and I think that Sometimes Christianity, you know, and the demands it makes upon people, um, sometimes that's, that is too much. You know, people say I, the reason people often put off Christianity, they may have rational reasons, but sometimes I think there's emotional reasons because they feel the cost would be too great. Um, so, so that for me has always been quite a powerful sort of confronting kind of passage in, in Lewis's work there. I don't know if you have any thoughts on it, Alistair.
1: Well, it, it's a very powerful passage, and the, the image of the, the lizard. I mean, there the are parallels here with, incidentally, um, Eustace becoming a, a mm. dragon in the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. The idea is, is, is without realising it, you're being taken over by something. And it becomes part of you, and, and too late, you begin to think, actually, I, I do not want this, but how on earth can I break free from this? And it's all about the idea of um, how we break free from a, a fallen or an unreal form of existence and achieve what we're meant to be. And one of the points that, that Lewis very often makes is either that we find this very, very difficult to do because... We've become this. This is actually part of who we are. Or because, in effect, um, we need somebody else to do this for us. And, of course, in both cases, Lewis is trying to say um, this is all about redemption through Christ. It's very often something we cannot do by ourselves. But uh, there are several points in The Great Divorce where Lewis is trying to make the point that very often we allow ourselves to become unreal through unwise decisions and reversing those means we become the real people we're meant to be.
0: Yes, uh, and thank you for the, the, you know, the connection with Edmund, um, Eustace, sorry, in in The Dawn Treader, because you're absolutely right. There's that scene, which very closely mimics it, now I think about it, of, of Aslan sort of having to literally tear off the dragon skin from, mm-hmm. from Eustace and then sort of casts him into a pool which i suppose is a sort of, you know, analogy for baptism or something. Um and and it's a painful process but he has to surrender to it. He has to give Aslan permission to do it as it were. Um and so yeah, it's 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 it's, it's excellent. Um thank you very much. So much more we could have gone talked about the great divorce and as i say one of his shorter works but obviously a lot lot to talk about here. Um uh, what do you think readers can take away then if they are perhaps picking this up for the first time if they've never read it? What 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 might we'd be asking people to look out for and take away from in this book well, I think what Lewis is trying to do is to get us to
1: appreciate the the way in which heaven is about the fulfillment of our desire so we become what we really are meant to be I think that's a very very tangible very very confident assertion Actually, I think it's something that that is really helpful to um to keep coming back to I think, uh, you know, one of the things I I would also take away is the way in which Lewis uses very interesting characters to make sometimes quite important spiritual or theological points. And again, it's all about how you communicate these ideas to a readership. What Lewis here, I think, is drawing on medieval dream literature to try and uh, make some important points about the nature of heaven. But I think the thing that I take away from this is um, that, um, if I'm put like this, heaven is is real even more real than this life we live now and of course one of the points lewis makes time and time again particularly in the last battle is what we now think is real in this world will be seen as a a a shadow when we enter into the reality of heaven
0: and that's a very important point Mm, yes i feel like he always took a leaf from the book of hebrews on that front you know that the the way that the former things were a shadow of what christ makes real you know in in his death and resurrection and so on but um that that's great thank you Alistair for um, this dive into the great divorce I hope it's persuaded one or two listeners to pick it up and read it or reread it um what are we going to be looking at next time well we're going to look at Lewis's Surprised by
1: Joy um, which appeared in 1955 and it's often referred to as Lewis's spiritual
0: autobiography and I have to say I think it's one of his best books I'm really looking forward to our conversation about it So am I. Well, we shall see you then for now. Thank you very much for being with us on this edition of the podcast, Alistair. Thank you. Thanks for being with us on today's edition of the show. And as we heard, Surprised by Joy, published in 1955, is C.S. Lewis's spiritual autobiography, really concentrating on his early life and his conversion experience. Alistair will be drawing out the lessons that his life can give us today on next week's show i uh, would love you to go and visit our new ministry show page as well uh, PremierUnbelievable.com. it's more than just a show page it's a full singing and dancing website actually uh, you can support us from there and we do value anything you can uh, do to help us bring you this range of shows and resources from Premier unbelievable uh, you can register for our newsletter uh, you can keep up with the show you can get a free ebook that way too um, all the links with today's show notes and don't forget all course Alistair at this year's conference as well as some wonderful other speakers and lots of panel discussions lots of opportunity to ask your questions unbelievable.live for that for now thanks for being with us and see you next time